Welcome to PIP Permaculture Podcast number 25. In this edition, PIP editor Robin Rosenfeld learns about the slow flower movement, chatting with Tara Luca from Olive Gap Organic Farm. Tara is a sustainable flower grower and advocate from the northern rivers of New South Wales. In this podcast, Tara explains the environmental issues in the conventional flower growing industry and shares how we can all make better bloom choices without forgoing the beauty of flowers. She also gives us a glimpse into her family's inspiring rural home-based life. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to the PIP podcast. Today I'm speaking with Tara Luca from Olive Gap Organic Farm. She's a sustainable flower grower and member of the Slow Flower Movement. Welcome Tara and thanks for taking the time to have a chat with me today. No worries, lovely to be here, thank you. Now we're all pretty familiar with this, with the slow food movement, but slow flowers is something that I think many of us might not have heard of before. Can you explain what the slow flower movement is about? Sure. Well, it's um basically an umbrella term that's used um for lots of um small scale flower farmers that are selling locally and using sustainable practices. So that's quite varied, I guess, what some people would call sustainable like whether it be certified organic or not but basically trying to um use um you know good positive farming techniques in lots of different forms and um and being able to provide flowers locally to people so it's very similar to the slow food um movement in the way that it's um about i guess putting um the product before the profit and um, thinking about the mm. earth and um, and consumers and, you know, what's healthy for the actual grower and all of those sorts of um, things kind of come under that term. Mm. Yeah, because it's interesting when you're thinking about food, we care about, you know, if it's got chemicals in it and things like that, but it's also important with flowers and things like that that you're bringing into your home as well. Absolutely, yeah. Everything everything that um, people are growing and farming, I think that's kind of um, the underlying term, that it really matters how we're growing everything. And so even though, I mean, there's so many flowers that are edible, but um, there's so much uh, beyond the benefits, I guess, um, of um, like with the soil and looking after um, you know, waterways and all those sorts of things, you know, are very important. So yeah. no matter what we're growing. Um, so food is extra important because we're putting it into our bodies. But, yeah, I think it's just taking that to the whole, um, you know, thing of growing anything. It's the whole ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and it definitely has an effect. And it also, uh, especially, I guess, in the case when things aren't edible, we don't have a strict guidelines and regulations. So you mm. can spray flowers with a, a lot more stuff um, than you actually can, yeah. even with the standard guidelines that, you know, I don't even think probably many people listening to this would probably like the standard guidelines anyway. But, um, you know, when it comes to yeah. flowers, it's it's put to the actual, you know, to the absolute extreme um because it's seen as something that's not going into our bodies. So there's, you know, often no withholding periods 
um, for spraying. So, mm. you know, the first thing we do when we pick up flowers usually is we go in for that deep smell, um, which usually isn't mm. there anyway <laughs> if, if it's just in a supermarket yeah. or something, but it's kind of an instinctive thing that we do and, you know, so there's lots of residue and um, things on that. But also it's just all on into the soil. Um, and, mm. yeah, so it's it's kind of more important so, in a so way. So what are some of the, um, yeah, what are some of the main issues with the conventional cut flower industry that you're trying to move away from? Well, I guess number one, um, imports. We Australia does import a lot of um of flowers and they are grown um, overseas. So there's a lot of miles that go into it and a lot of like fumigation on the way through because of customs and things like that. Um, so I guess mm. that's the biggest one that I think is just a lose-lose <laughs> in a way for the environment. Um, yeah. And then there's conventional growing and there are a lot of um, great conventional growers in Australia and it's kind of, I, I guess, a sliding scale um, but I guess number one, uh, growing in greenhouses and just needing to use a lot of resources um, in order to, because a lot of mm. conventional flower farms only grow one type of flower um, because that's kind of, they have the same, because flowers are tricky. They've got a very, they've all got very different um, post-harvest um, things that need to be done to them. So if you're doing it on a large scale to make a profit, mm. it does make sense to, do it as a bit of a monoculture and it being just one type of flower but you know so it can be you know sent all year round and grown out of season and all that sort of stuff so usually a lot of greenhouses and climate control um, is used for the growing of a lot of those products and you know you don't want bees in there because bees pollinate and that actually makes the um, vase life of the flower shorter so, you know, they're just, really, yeah, needing to control that whole environment. Um, but, I mean, it's different for different farms and different crops, of course, and there are some larger-scale farms that I'm sure, um, you know, not doing all of those things as well. But, yeah, it, I guess mm. the smaller the farm, the but more. But that's in interesting. Go ahead. It's just interesting, that idea. Normally we all, we all want bees yeah to be coming into our gardens i hadn't actually thought before that flower growers don't want bees yes absolutely well it's funny because i've got we've got our own beehives right next to our, my flower patch <laughs> so it's yeah. i want the bees of course i want the bees but at the same time i mean i'm learning slowly um you actually just need to pick the flowers before they're pollinated if you want a longer vase life but oh. there's plenty for them to that just get left for them to pollinate and their, you know, veggies and the fruit trees and everything as well. So, yeah, it's quite funny how my relationship with yeah. bees changed. <laughs> just a little yeah. bit, just a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. <laughs> so in comparison, what, how are you growing your flowers and in a way that isn't causing these problems to the environment? Well, I guess number one is just small scale. Um, and that's usually with the whole sort of anyone that's um, using the term slow flowers, usually that is um, is the first thing, which is kind of, I guess, under, well, I, there's no actual rules or anything. My 
plot here is about half an acre and um, it's got some fruit trees and veggies in there as well. So I probably only really have a quarter of an acre of intensive actual bed space flowers. Um, mm. But being able to um, make it very diverse, so there's lots of different types of flowers and um, also... Oh, so many things. I mean, we're certified organic, so um, we obviously don't use any, you know, pesticides or herbicides or anything like that. Uh, we also have no till, mm. so I'm using like a broad fork, and um, yeah. yeah, lots of lots of mulching and um, you know all of the all of the things that a backyard gardener does, I guess, in order to make the soil yeah, rich yeah. and we've got a worm farm and add lots of compost. So, you know, we're trying, our soil's just getting better and better. We actually have very poor soil where we yeah. live. Um, we're very coastal okay. and we're up on a rocky ridge. So we've got this kind of sandy um, soil, but it's just getting better and better and better every year. So that's the aim for us anyway, is that... Mm. We're improving things. So you're regenerating the soil. Yeah, and you know, there's lots of um, lots of bees and birds, and we've got water around the garden, you know, little ponds and things as well. So it's um, very much a an ecosystem of its own, um, as well as mm. being a flower production <laughs> place. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess another aspect of it is the amount of waste that is produced in the conventional method of production. Mm, mm, absolutely. Is that something that you've looked at as well? Yeah, I guess lots of plastics used, like um, plastic sheeting, plastic mulching, um, all that sort of stuff. We, um, we've tried to reduce plastics as much as possible um, because there is a huge amount of wastage in conventional um, flower growing. And um, also just... Very much, um, I was told when I first started flower farming that you just need to be willing to lose 50% of your crop um, at all times, <laughs> which I was just refused to, to really? you know. I know it's, it is tricky to be able to pick them at the right time and all of that sort of stuff, but um, I try not to waste a single um, bloom. I mean, I do have a compost heap with a lot of, you know, weeds and all those sorts of things. Um, go into but um, yeah I definitely even if something's a little bit overblown um, I'll often just pack, pick them in buckets and give them to people and things like that so but there, there mm. isn't a, a yeah we don't really create any waste with what we're doing yeah and I saw I saw the way you present them and package them it's beautiful with brown paper and string and things like that oh yeah of course that packaging too yeah um it's all compostable what we what we use and yeah i i just get horrified now when i see beautiful flowers wrapped in the 50 layers of plastic with the bright fluoro plastic ribbons and stuff i I wouldn't have thought about it much before at all but i do look at it and go wow there's a lot of um and you know i've i've been working at florist on and off to um be learning bits and pieces and you know in order to transport flowers long distances they really they arrive from the flower markets just absolutely covered in plastic so there is a lot of wastage Mm. there for sure Mm. 
So how did you get into flowers? Were you a florist beforehand and decided to grow them? Or no, what no. What was the journey that got you here? Um, I just have always really enjoyed flowers. Like even in my early 20s when I had absolutely no money and living in the city, I would always buy myself like a $10 bunch of flowers. I just loved having them in yeah. my house. So I've just always, like my mum and my grandma and members of my family have um grown flowers and my nonna and nonna were veggie they they had great um a great veggie patch out the back so I've always loved growing and just living things um but it was really only we moved to the snowy mountains um when my which was like 13 years ago now for a few years and um we're in this tiny little town and every single house was just filled with um with gardens and just so many amazing flowers that mm. I'd never seen before. So I started, we had a really big thriving veggie patch out the back of our house there, but I started growing more flowers once um, I was living there and it was just kind of oh, like yeah. even the, you know, old guys next door that, you know, worked because it was an apple farming town um, in, in Bathlo in the Snowy Mountains and so everyone was kind of farmers oh, yeah. or farm workers. But even the guys that were kind of rough as guts they still tended to their roses on the weekend so there was a lot to learn from <laughs> it was it? yeah and they were like you know bloody organic farmers oh, we're not into organic gardening but they were actually organic gardening and had amazing methods that they were that we learned yeah. from them like they didn't they didn't I guess like the hype or anything but they'd just been doing it the way they'd been doing it for so long but yeah. I learned heaps there and when we moved back up to the north coast and started building and um, settling on the community that we now live, we, we were living pretty rough. It's totally off-grid and we didn't have solar or water. I mean, we had water, not hot water. Yeah, um, right. And, you know, it was very rustic for the first few years and I just started growing flowers um, amongst the veggies as a way to bring the flowers in to the yeah. table and just made it feel homely. And I just felt like everything was fine as long as there was flowers on the table. Um, yeah. And that's, it's, it's really just grown from there. The, the big garden that we have now is all intended for food production and just slowly but surely we realised, I guess... The flowers took over. The flowers took over. <laughs> and I guess we realised we didn't need... Um, you know, you can grow so many veggies, Um in such a small space as well. So the mm. more that we got better at growing and succession planting and all that sort of stuff, the more flowers we planted. And then we did actually just double the amount when I became totally obsessed with flowers because, um, yeah, yeah, there just wasn't enough space. <laughs> so it's become a little bit of an obsession. So can we obsession. talk about... Go ahead. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about some of your... What are some of your favourite flowers and which flowers do you choose to grow? Well, I would say that my favourite flowers, like overall, are Australian native flowers. Um, and I say, like, a lot, we just live very close to um, Bundjalung National Park where there's a heath of all the flowering wildflowers, which are just still going on at the moment. This time of year is amazing down there. So I think, like, overall, I love. Um, a lot of those native flowers and the flannel flowers and all of those. Um, I would say 
I love. And what can you name some? Oh, what like Barone, some varieties, some Baronia, um, and even the um, Leptospermum um, tea trees flower. Mm. Um, and yep. yeah, there. And of course, I love the um, kind of South African proteas and things like that that kind of get you know piled into the Australian natives but I'm actually not growing any of those so I um we do have quite a bit of um we've planted quite a few of those um like the leptospermum and things like that around the place um but that is the plan for us is to next go into the Australian natives they just need quite a lot of room and um they have quite a lot of outlay to get them happening properly so that's kind of our next step but things yeah. that I have going on now lots of um lots of annuals such as snapdragons and um I've just um I'm putting in my dahlias and lots of roses I absolutely love roses because they're just not like roses that you buy you know from the florist or from um mm. or from the supermarket like the really old style fragrant um I love David Austin's and, yeah, so roses is definitely something that I am growing that I love very much. And the ranunculas are just finishing mm. and they're another big favourite. Um, but, yeah, I'm putting in lots more perennials at the moment now that I've kind of, I'm sort of in my third um, third year of this sort of productive growing. And so it's definitely a good time to be putting in lots of perennials so it's so much of it is like foraging so I've got all the things that are in in high production and getting turned over but then yeah, yeah I have a lot of bush around me and a lot of um things and planting shrubs and stuff like that and eucalypts foliages yeah. I'm very into native foliages um we've just planted a whole pile of really beautiful um eucalyptus trees that make beautiful foliage so yeah it's, mm. it's, it's all evolving <laughs> so you also produce tea tree oil as well can you tell me a bit about that yes well we um we bought some land that was an established tea tree um certified organic tea tree farm that's just down the road from um the community that we live on with um my husband, Alex, bought it with his sister and her partner, Nina. So there's kind of four of us that went in um, and it happened very spontaneously and I'm still not quite sure how it happened, but it's all um, mm. been really cool and there was a lovely old guy that we bought the farm off that Alex and Tess because they both grew up on the community that we live on. Okay. Um, so they had they had known Arthur, the um the owner of the tea tree farm like pretty much their whole lives and had just bought tea tree off him whenever they wanted it and um so anyway we bought it off him and um he ended up staying on and kind of mentoring us um oh, so beautiful. we distill it all on site yeah using really um really lovely uh it's all off grid so it's, it's wood-fired steam distillation and um, we're bottling it now and selling it um, sort of under our own brand and that's kind of a, a new thing as well. And I use it for foliage as well, oh, yeah. of course. <laughs> Beautiful. But, yeah, but we use it for everything. We use it for everything now because, it's you know, I guess when you have a tea tree farm you start learning so many more uses 
mm. for things. So, yeah, it's handy stuff. And also if mm. it's the right type of tea tree, if the bees are foraging on that, then it has a lot of beneficial effect into the Absolutely. honey that's produced, which is an added bonus. Yes. Is yes. It, is it one Very of the right good, types yeah. of tea tree, do you know? Because there are certain varieties yeah, well, that... I think... Yeah, I th- I think the what we grow is Melaleuca alternifolia, and so that's mainly like it it's good for the oil. But I think like jelly bush and the other flowering mm. tea trees might be that they, they've got a higher medicinal yeah um quality, a bit like manuka, and that's yeah. very hot property for the bees for sure. Mm. Yeah, and there's quite a few apiarists that live on our road and um, have their bees out in the national park that are going for that. But mm. I think even bees. Um, foraging on our tea tree would get um, benefits as well, but I think, yeah, you're probably um, meaning the really, the really juicy stuff yeah. that's down in the heath, which um, yeah is not very far. We hope I think our bees get to it. Sometimes we, when we've harvested, um, you have to get your eye in. But we've had some apiarists tell us we have a bit of that in our honey. I mean, okay. we don't sell it or anything. It's just for us. But yeah, good to yeah, know. Yeah, so though. the bees travel a long way. Mm. <laughs> that's great totally so yeah. between the tea tree oil production and the flowers are you able to do you make a living off your from the land are you able to just live from that well that's what we're aiming towards that's what we're working towards I mean mm. I um, am home with my girls because I homeschool them as well and where Alex we definitely both kind of work part-time yeah and it's starting to produce an income and we're really hoping in the next um in the next 12 months that that can be our full-time gig but we're kind Mm. of just taking it as it comes with with family life and all of that but Alex just works um two days a week as a teacher off um off farm which he does love as well but yeah it's definitely the long-term goal is that we um will just be on farm as much as we possibly can to yeah for all of our needs yeah that's fantastic so we've been talking a bit lately about mm. home-based lifestyles and the benefits of when you run a business from home and you're spending most of your time at home it kind of allows you to mm. you know be present in your in your own life and make your own things and um yeah what's the experience for you with that well Definitely when we moved up to the property that we're on, we are quite far from town. We're like um, an hour south of Byron Bay. Mm. We've got a few tiny towns near us, but, um, you know, it's we definitely knew that homeschooling was going to be our um, our first choice up here because we're, we're not close to any sort of public transport or anything mm. like that at all. And the whole point for us was to create uh, um, an integrated life so that we could yeah, be um, home-based and providing as much of our food as possible and, um, you know, educating our our kids mm. and, you know, we have community up here as well. So it was a natural thing for us and right from the beginning we wanted to be able to, to produce an income from um, in some way. Mm. from, um, you know, that was integrated into our lifestyle because we had seen, um, as I said, Alex, growing up out here, he'd seen over the years many people commuting into work um, and um, many of them made it work but we just knew that that was not for us, that, you know, it's such a lifestyle 
living on any sort of property <laughs> really yeah. and um and such a commitment that we just wanted it we just felt that for us to be able to gain um the maximum you know amount of joy from our lifestyle mm. of choosing being out here um in a rural setting that yeah we that was sort of part of of our original idea but it, it it's quite funny we knew it would take time and we had lots of different ideas slowly um but yeah farming was never um although now we look back in hindsight and go oh it was totally where we were heading the whole time (laughs) but it wasn't it wasn't pre-thought out um before and if you know what I mean we just knew that there was we wanted to find something that um would would integrate well and um, be nourishing for us and that we could integrate into the homeschooling and everything because, um, yeah, it just kind of makes sense. Yeah. So do the kids get involved with the business as well? They do, yeah, they absolutely do. I mean, we uh, we don't force them into child labour, <laughs> um, which there's lots of lots of jokes about that lately. Yeah. But, um but they they do love helping out and i mean they have their house chores that they do they kind of they help us out in a lot of ways um by just um being great little independent people and helping you know get the breakfast ready and get the chooks fed and mm. they've kind of got their little chores that they have sort of chosen over the years that they love to do and animals you know is a big part of that looking after their own animals and we've lived in a tiny in a pretty small house so um you know we're we're very much into trying to keep things in order so in a lot of ways that's how they're helping a lot is that when um I've got a really busy order to pick super early in the morning they'll just go okay cool we'll sort these other things out yeah but they often come out and help as well um they've kind of got their own little veggie patch that they tend just of their own and they kind of come and um they love doing the tea tree as well actually because we've got cows down with the tea tree so they help a lot with the cows and oh yeah yeah they're very much integrated into it but we haven't quite gotten to the whole all right harvest this for me yeah <laughs> at just, this time tomorrow. yeah well they're still oh, yeah, young it's not quite like that yet I, I think i'll be i think i'll be paying them to do that yeah, <laughs> which yeah. will be fine yeah <laughs> in a few years but um but yeah they 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 really love it and so could you describe like an average day for you like how you sort of integrate the growing and the business and the kids and yeah just what that looks like sure well um I guess we've got kind of got a um our daily rhythm that's always sort of changing with the seasons but basically I usually get up quite early like around five o'clock or something I'm a bit of an early to bed early to rise person anyway (laughs) so sometimes like it's even earlier but but usually it's around 5 5 30 and um I'll often go out into the garden and do I I usually just do harvesting at that time Mm. um unless um there's one there's one day a week that I have like a um, like prep all my new beds and all that sort of stuff. So that's like my my bigger day. But um, usually the flowers are kind of done in little groups around 
um, all the other things. So I usually do a few hours of harvesting and just checking out the seedlings and because I'm growing pretty much everything from seed, which mm. um, is, you know, just needs tending to um, in the morning, just checking everything out. And um, then kind of come nine o'clock or whatever, we usually do a couple of hours of our homeschooling um, rhythm, which is always very varied. We're, we're very quite free with it, but we do do sit down stuff as well. And the girls are all learning instruments, are very much into their playing music. So they mm. do their music practice and all of that. Um, and then some afternoons um, we have town lessons and co-ops and things like that that we um, that we do. And other times the kids have just got free time in the afternoon, so I'm usually just pottering, doing bits and pieces. And um, we've got other kids on the community, so the, the kids usually just go off and play and do all of that. And that's often when I get another hour or so or two sometimes. Yeah. It depends on the weather and everything, of course, yeah. but it kind of just fits in there. <laughs> and... Um, and the girls are really into cooking, so uh, if they're if they're um, feeling in the vibe of cooking and doing dinner and all of that, um, that's always very appreciated. Yeah, and I have a bit more time. Yeah. <laughs> totally, uh, I have a bit more time in the garden before dinner. Um, mm, uh, doing, you know, just a bit of weeding and. Th- things like that but we definitely have blitz days where there's like really big jobs to do but they're kind of not the average yeah the average day so that's kind of just how it weaves in Mm. um and deliveries I always tie in I'm just really staunch (laughs) I have to be where where we live and with our lifestyle um just uh with because I um sell to florists and um a few other places, a cafe and things. So it's all been just as much as possible organised and integrated into our other town trips. So mm. the girls doing their lessons um, and, yeah, I basically just say this is the time that I'm available and um, and work it in that way. And that's actually worked quite well mm. so far because, yeah, it's kind of the only way that, that it um that it can work because otherwise you'd just be um, delivering all yeah, the time, yeah. which which is no fun. But I think Tess and Nina are going to start doing some um, more deliveries for me, which is great because that's it's one thing that I'm starting to not be able to keep up with as as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to do an extra trip, so that's a whole other logistical thing. Yeah. But we just try to we try to just fit it in with other stuff as much as possible into a into a routine so that people know what to expect and all of that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got quite a good balance yeah. of life and work and kids and everything going on there. <laughs> always, always trying. <laughs> and another talent that it's you It's pretty and, crazy, really. Yeah, and another talent that you and your family have is music, <laughs> I see. And I saw that beautiful little film yeah. clip you had of the farm featuring the song The Littlest Birds. So is your whole family into music and do you all play together? Yeah, well, Alex and I, um, we met while we were at university both studying music. So it was kind of the, um, yeah, it was sort of the first thing that we did. Um, 
really, and we were travelling around um, in a band playing together for a few years before we had kids and decided to settle down. So we still every now and then play as a duo. Basically, if friends call us and say we've got this gig, we'll go, okay, great, we'll come and play. But with our lifestyle changing so much, it's kind of just been something we've done just for us and then every now and again a cool gig pops up and we go yay but um the girls have always been into music so um our house as I said before is so tiny but we've got like every instrument you can think of strewn throughout the house and um right from the beginning (laughs) it's quite funny it's a very noisy house um right from the beginning uh, my eldest, Olive, um, her character, she just, just was very clear that she wanted to have violin lessons So, uh, and she's doing classical training. So um, April, um, my second daughter, um, she started playing the cello and, yeah, so the, and Cedar plays the piano and um, she was obsessed with a harp for years but now she's really into the drums as well um, and percussion which is cool so they do heaps of music um, and mainly they've been playing not with Alex and I we've we've always we had a community choir up until recently so their whole lives have sung and Mm. it has been something that we've done together you know just for fun but um, they've really kind of had their own journey um, Mm playing mainly classical and stuff in different groups and things like that um, locally. And it's only kind of been, yeah, the last few years or something that we've started going, oh, let's learn some proper songs together mm. you know, and just um, work out some harmonies and stuff. And so it's it's very it's very fresh and it's kind of exciting because suddenly they can all play really well. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, Got oh, a little wow. band I mean, they, already. We, we jammed together. Yeah. We jammed together, you know, when they were little, but they were, they were always into different types of music. So I don't know. We just didn't, um, we didn't play heaps and heaps, but, uh, now we've just started to a bit more just as a little fun thing to do. We actually have a gig, our first kind of, proper gig this Friday night um just right. somewhere locally that's just going to be a bit of a blast of fun yeah <laughs> just doing a good. half hour set and so it's just a little just a little thing now that will be fun to do together I reckon yeah well I highly recommend anyone to mm. look up your song the littlest bird and you birds you also get to see the farm and what you do on the farm as well so if people just sure. Google that, will they find it? I saw it on your Facebook page. Um, did you? Yeah, it's on our Facebook page. It's on our website, which is olivegapfarm.com and um, and on YouTube as well Yeah. Um, under the same, which, yeah, so I hope you can find that. That was quite fun. So we just thought it would be really good to have something on the website that showed us um, making uh, and growing and distilling the tea tree oil and also growing the flowers just so that people could see that, yeah, this is what we're doing and how we're doing it. And um, it was going to be just like a 10-second clip, but it just kind of ended up being um, a bit more than that. We had lots of fun. We had some friends like a filmmaker and um, uh, a friend that helped us record um, 
the song as a family. So it kind of ended up being a bit of a project, but it was it was mm. really fun. Yeah, it's beautiful. So one takeaway question for people that want to start growing flowers in their garden. What what are some varieties or types of flowers that you would recommend that are kind of easy to start with? Right, yeah. I would say definitely um, Cosmos is really lovely um, and you get can get lots of different, um, there's lots mm. of colours for Cosmos and Zinnias. Um, they're really easy as well. There's a few that um, like Snapdragons is uh, really lovely to put in. Um, anything that's got, yeah, I guess it depends what sort of colours that you're into, but that those three are kind of um, very easy and they cut and come again. So um, as you pick some, um, they'll reshoot yeah. and they'll just keep producing and keep producing. And, like, I'm, I'm really into those ones because <laughs> they're real workhorses and you can enjoy them inside but then still have yeah, them in definitely. the garden and they just sort of keep on going. So they're... Yeah, they're kind of, I reckon, the, the ones that I would start with. And that you can get really basic varieties of those ones from lots of different seed catalogues. But um, you can also get really kind of fancy ones if you do want to look online. Like yeah. there's just so many varieties of even just um, those three mm. basics. So there's so much choice out there. It gets very, very addictive. <laughs> I warn you. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Oh, so thanks a lot for taking the time to chat with me today, Tara. It's been really interesting to hear about slow flowers and to get that insight into what's involved in growing flowers and the way that you do it. So thanks a lot for your time. No worries. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely. Thanks for listening to the Pit Permaculture Podcast. If you liked what you heard, head to our website to find lots more great podcasts, useful articles and DIY projects and to subscribe to the magazine too. Visit www.pipmagazine.com.au. Thanks for listening and we look forward to having you join us for the next podcast.